Well, I want you to imagine with me for just, just a minute, if you will. Let your imagination uh, kind of follow along here. Um, imagine that it is, um, it's a brisk fall morning, maybe even, maybe even a cold early winter's morning uh, somewhere here in the Blue Ridge Mountains. And it's early. The, the sun is just beginning to rise. It's just peaking above the, the distant mountain peaks, and it's causing the rime ice that's coating all of the tree limbs to just sparkle like, you know, like a billion Christmas lights. And it's quiet, and it's still, and the only movement are the rustling of some dried leaves rolling around on the forest floor. And about 20 feet up in a tree, hidden among the branches, are some of you in your tree stand. And you're silent, and you're motionless, and you're patient, and you're waiting. And you're waiting for the moment that that prize buck walks into your sights. That eight point or 10 point or 12 point buck walks into your sights. And suddenly, there he is. And so stealthily, silently, you pick up your bow, you raise it up, you draw back, you exhale, and you release. And the arrow that you already had ready to go leaves your bow at a rate of 300 feet per second. Think about it. 300 feet per second. It's 200 miles an hour. And at 40 yards, the tip of your arrow will pierce the heart of that deer in one-third of one second from the time you release it. Imagine, one-third of one second after you release it, 40 yards, just like that. And that old buck has no idea what hit him. He never knows what hit him. Think about that. Now, some of you are thinking, well, I don't want to think about that. That's sad. That's terrible. And others of you are now thinking, oh, I can't think of anything else the rest of the day. I want it to be deer season again. Well, while you're thinking about it, whatever your thoughts are that you're thinking, let me welcome you to week number four. Uh, week number four of this series where we're learning together about armoring up. You know, we're talking in these days about what it means, what Paul meant when he instructed us in Ephesians 6 that we were to put on the armor of God and that he told us to do this so that we might be able to stand. That was the, the reason, the motivation. That in these days that we're living, in the good days and the bad days and the, in the valleys and the stressful times, really in all the seasons of life, good and bad, that we will stand. And that at the end of the day, when all is said and done, that we will still be standing in the faith and standing for Jesus. And he said, if you're going to do that, if you're going to have any hope of standing, then you need to put on the full armor of God. And so for the last few weeks, we've been talking about these individual pieces of armor. We began by uh, learning about the belt of truth. That's in chapter number six and what is it? Verse 14, stand therefore having your loins girt 
about with the truth, having truth wrapped around you. He says that we need to wrap our lives in truthfulness, in sincerity and authenticity, that we're living authentic, sincere Christian lives, walking in truth, being truth tellers and living according to the truth, okay? So he says to us that we should wrap ourselves in the belt of truth. The second thing that we learned about, the second piece of armor was the breastplate of righteousness. Now that's verse number 14 as well. The breastplate of righteousness. This is that protective cover of righteousness where we not we, we don't make ourselves righteous. That happens by faith in Christ. But where because we've been made righteous, we then determine, we decide that I'm going to live out that righteousness. I'm going to live righteously by the help of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to live righteously and let the righteousness of Jesus, which is in me, begin to show up in my life. Number three, we talked about the sandals of peace. That is verse number 15, and having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That is to have our feet firmly rooted in the gospel and that when we're firmly rooted in the gospel, we're not blown around, we're able to stand against the difficulties of life that come, the temptations that come, and that gives us peace. So belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, shoes or sandals of peace. Today, we're coming to the fourth piece of armor. Write it down somewhere in your notes. It is the shield of faith the shield of faith, all right? Now, let me read one verse. It's chapter six and verse number 16. Well, the Bible says, above all, taking the shield of faith. There it is. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked. Taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Now, if you have a pen in your hand, why don't you circle at the end of verse number 16, circle the word wicked. And maybe in the margin or right out next to the word wicked, just write the word one, because that's what he means. It's the wicked one. If you have a more modern translation of the Bible, it probably says the evil one, whereby you may quench all the fiery darts of the evil one. Well, that's right. He's he's talking about Satan. He's talking about the devil. He's talking about our spiritual enemy. In fact, if you haven't already done it, and you probably have, but if you haven't done it yet, you should go back up to verse 11, verse 12, verse 13. And in those three verses, you should circle these words, devil, principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness, Verse number uh, 13, the evil day. All of these words refer to our spiritual enemy. And in these weeks, we've been talking a lot about him. We've been talking about our spiritual enemy, Satan, the devil, and how that he has a hatred for Christ. And because he has a hatred for Christ, he has a hostility toward Christ followers. See, here's what I want you to understand, that when you are attacked by the enemy, when Satan tempts you, tests you, attacks you, comes against you, um, when those things happen, it's not really about you. It's not really about me. We're small potatoes, okay? It's about Christ and the glory of Christ and the fame of Christ and the, and the gospel of Christ going forward. So because he hates Christ, he attacks you and he attacks me. So we've been learning about this enemy of our souls and the ways in which that he 
opposes us. Well, when you come to verse number 16, there's a, 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 a one little bit of verse 16, in fact, two words, where you learn a little more about the strategy, one of the strategies that Satan uses to oppose those who follow Christ. Let me read it to you again. You'll, you'll see it. Verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith, that is with the shield of faith, you shall be able to quench all, here it is, the fiery darts of the wicked one. There's the strategy. Write it down. These are Satan's fiery darts. Let's talk about that for a minute. One of the ways that Satan attacks a follower of Jesus or opposes our spiritual walk or seeks to prevent us from standing is that he launches fiery darts or flaming arrows at us. And remember, Paul is using in this entire passage about the armor, he's using the Roman soldier and his armor as the metaphor for the armor that we ought to put on. And I told you over the last couple of weeks why it is that Paul knew that armor so well. He did understand each piece of the Roman soldier's armor and he knew the purpose that each piece served. And so he understood that every Roman soldier, when he went into battle, would carry with him an, a shield. And he understood what the purpose of that shield was. It was to quench or to deflect or to stop flaming arrows that would inevitably be fired at that Roman soldier and his battalion by the enemy. You know, every war strategist, every modern day war strategist knows the importance of achieving air superiority when you're engaged in a conflict. If you can achieve air superiority, then with your jets and bombers, you have the ability to soften ground targets before you send in the ground troops. Every War fighter understands that. Well, the same was true 2,000 years ago, but they didn't have jets and fighters and bombers 2,000 years ago. So air power in that time came from arrows, flaming arrows very often, which would be shot by the opposing uh, army and they would come very often raining down upon you because... The archers in those armies, thousands of them, would all fire at the same time and they would fire in a high arc and those arrows would come like rain, like raining fire down on you. Or it would be a direct shot with an arrow blazing toward your head coming to, to pierce you. So every Roman soldier had to have some protection from that. And their protection was their shield. And that would allow them to deflect those flaming arrows. Now, as Paul thought about this, he's looking at this Roman soldier's armor and he sees all the pieces and he sees that shield of faith and he, or he sees that shield and he knows what that shield is for to deflect those arrows. Then he thinks to himself, by the Holy Spirit, he thinks to himself, that's, that's the way we need to be defended. Because Satan does the same thing to us. He fires these attacks, these fiery darts at us. And so we need a, a shield which will deflect them. And what is that shield? He says, well, it's the shield of faith. Our faith will deflect those fiery darts. It's like that 10-point buck that I was talking about a minute ago. 
that's walking through the field and walking through the woods and, and he has no idea, no clue that perched up in a tree stand or in a, in a hunting blind or somewhere on a hillside, there you are and your arrow is ready and in a moment before he ever knows it, without ever knowing what hits him, he will be hit with an arrow, with a dart. This is the way Satan works. You're in a conversation. Somebody says something. It's a dart. You walk into a situation. You weren't ready for it. Something occurs. Some, somebody's there you weren't expecting. Some event takes place. And, you're, and there's a dart. You're, you're minding your own business. You're, you're, uh, you're going through life and suddenly out of nowhere, a temptation comes washing over you like a dart. And Paul knew this. And he didn't want your life or my life to end up like the life of that deer laying slain somewhere. So he said, you need a shield. Let's talk about these darts for just a second. Satan has many kinds of darts that he throws at us or fires at us, but I think there are three primary ones that we find in Scripture and that from our own experience, I think you'll agree with me, these are the, some of the primary ways that Satan fires his darts. These are Satan's favorite flaming arrows. Would you write them down somewhere? Let's talk about them. The first one, I think, is the, is the fiery dart of lies. Satan's a liar. I said this to you a couple of weeks ago. He's a liar. He, he always lies. He never tells the truth. He is, he's the father of lies, Jesus himself said. He lies about everything. He, he lies about who you are. He lies about who God is. He, he lies about our purpose in life, how to invest our lives and what will really matter. He lies about where to find pleasure and happiness in life. He lies about everything. But his, his favorite fiery lies relate to the character of God and our relationship to God. Let me say that again. The way that he most effectively pierces a Christian's life with a lie is to lie about who God is or what God is like or to lie about how we are to relate to God. Let's talk first of all about how he lies about the character of God. Hold your finger in Ephesians. Go all the way back, if you will, to the book of Genesis, the third chapter of the Bible. Genesis chapter number three records for us the temptation of Adam and Eve. You recognize, many of you will know this, this uh, biblical account of our, our uh, first parents, Adam and Eve, created by God in the garden, living in sinless perfection with God, and now Satan comes to them in the form of a serpent. Genesis 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said unto the woman, listen to the words of Satan, Yea, hath God said? Do you hear the question? Did God say this to you? Shall you not eat of every tree of the garden of Eden? He's immediately, when he comes to Eve in his temptation, the dart that he fires is to begin to question what God said. Eve, you've got all of these trees in this wonderful garden. Did God say you could eat of all of them? He surely said you could eat of all of them, didn't he? 
She gives her answer in the next verse. Well, he said that we could eat of any tree of the garden except for one. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Look at it, verse number three. But of the tree, the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God hath said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Listen to verse four. The serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. Listen carefully. Satan lied when he said that God lied. You shall not die. God's lied to you. God's holding out on you because God knows that if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will become like God's. You will be elevated to be like God and he's holding you down. He's holding you back. He's not being good to you. You will not die. God has lied to you. Look at verse six. And the woman, when she saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and did eat and gave to her husband with her and he did eat. And you know the rest of the story that Adam and Eve and all of us, their descendants were plunged into sin. Well, here's what the Bible is telling us. It is that Satan's first arrow at the human family, his first arrow, his first fiery dart at the children of God was to question the goodness, the veracity, the truthfulness of God. He's done it to you. He's done it to me. He does it with this question. The question always starts like this. If God were so good, then why? If, if God were so good, why, why do children get sick and die? Wouldn't a good God prevent that? If, if God's so good... Why'd your spouse walk out on you? If God's so good, why is there war in this world? It's, it's this question where Satan comes and like a dart, he throws this lie into our heart and causes us to begin to question and to doubt the goodness of God. The second way that he lies is not just about the goodness of God, but about how we relate to God. Here's the way he does that. It happens to all of us. Satan will say, you know the Bible is clear on this issue, or I know the Bible is clear on this issue, but it's different for you. That's a lie. Satan will say to you, I know what the Bible says about morality, but God understands it's different with you. Some guy in the office is flirting with some girl in the office. One or both of them married to other people and this little flirtation begins to happen and it continues and continues. And one of those or both of them maybe are followers of Jesus and Satan starts throwing lies, throwing darts. You know what the Bible says about that, but it's different with you because your situation's so bad. You know, your marriage is hard anyway. God understands, and he wouldn't want you to stay in that old hard marriage. He'd rather you be happy with this person. It's just darts, lies. It has to do with our faithfulness. You know God wants you to be faithful, right? But it's okay for you. You can just kind of be half-hearted faithful, right? Because God understands, right? It's a lie. It has to do with our generosity, our giving. I was talking about your faithfulness in this moment ago, but some of us are, are like, Satan says, well, you know God wants you to be generous and tithe your income and be faithful, right? But it's different with you. God understands. Your situation is such that he wouldn't expect you to be generous. It just lies. 
So do you understand? This is his fiery dart. He comes to you and he says, God is not really good and God doesn't really hold you to his word. And suddenly we begin to have these flaming lies burning within our heart where we're believing what's not true. There's a second way that he does it. His second favorite flaming dart is the dart of lust, where he pierces our lives with lust. Now, let me talk about lust for a second. Lust, by definition, the word lust in the Bible only means a deep desire, a craving, a passionate longing, okay? It can be perfectly godly. In fact, Jesus used the word in the, in the gospels when he was getting together with his disciples for the last supper on the night of his arrest, when he sat down at the meal. He said, with great longing have I longed to have this meal with you. The word he used is translated in other places, lust. Jesus was saying, I have lusted to have this moment with you. I've craved, I've longed for this. So, so the, the word, the, the idea of a, of a lust, a craving can be perfectly fine, but what Satan does is he throws the dart to take what God has made beautiful and turn it into what is evil. Um, you, you're still probably in Genesis chapter three where the Bible says in verse number six that after hearing the lies of Satan that Eve endured or encountered or received the dart of lust. Verse number six, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she partook. You know what that was? It was lust. Now, leave Genesis 3, go all the way to the back of your Bible, from the beginning to the back, go to 1 John chapter number 2, right in front of the book of Revelation. 1 John chapter 2, please turn, I want you to see this and mark it in your Bible. It correlates directly back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. John says, for all that is in the world, what's in the world? The lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These things are not from the Father, but they are from the world. So the lust of the flesh is this inordinate desire. It's in my flesh what I crave. Eve craved what God said she couldn't have. Do you remember Genesis 3, 6? When she saw that it was good for food. God said, don't eat that. And she looked at him, it'll be awful good though. Looks really tasty. It's the lust for food. For the flesh, lust of the flesh. Look at what he says in verse number 16. For thou all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes means I see it and I crave it. It's not mine. I don't deserve it. I, I haven't, I, it, it doesn't belong to me, but I see it and I want it. Eve dealt with that when she saw that it was pleasant to the eyes. It looks good. I bet it would taste good. And then he says, not only the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, but the pride of life. Remember what the Bible said in Genesis 3, 6? When she saw that it looked good, it would taste good, and it was a fruit to be desired to make one wise. Oh, I would be better. I would be wiser. Like the devil said, I would be like God. And so Satan throws the dart of lies, and then he throws the darts of lust, and he causes us to long for and crave what we are not to have. So how does he do it in your life and mine? Well, he does it sometimes by taking 
what is good, ambition, and turning it into obsession. Where, where God takes the very, or, or Satan takes the very right desire, I want to be ambitious, I want to do a good job, I want to be successful at what I do, that's good. But he turns that into an obsession where that becomes the drive of my life and everything about God and what he values and puts first gets in the margins. It's lust. He does it when he takes uh, provision and turns it into greed. Where suddenly, I, I don't have any idea what it looks like to be content with what God provides for me, to just provide for my family and my future. Now it becomes greed. I've got to have more because it moves me higher up on the pile of things. He does it when he takes passion, a beautiful gift from God, meant to be enjoyed and expressed in the bounds of holy matrimony, and he turns that passion into perversion. Like an arrow shot from a bow hunter's bow. The lies come, the lust comes. There's a third way that he pierces us with his flaming arrows, and that is with lies, with lusts, and then thirdly, with words. With words. You're in 1 John. Go over to James. It's literally five, six pages in front of 1 John. Go to James chapter 3. James warns us about words, how that words can pierce and harm. James chapter 3, verse 3 he says, behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us. And we turn about their whole body, this massive beast we control by controlling their mouth. Behold, even the ships, which though they be so great and driven of fierce, mighty winds, yet they're turned with a very small helm or rudder wherever the captain wants. Mighty ship, force of wind, and yet it's directed by this small rudder. And he says, just like the horse and just like the ship, our lives are these mighty, powerful things, and yet they are often controlled by this very small member. He goes on in this passage to say that the tongue is a fire. Verse 5, a little member, it boasts great things. How great a matter a little fire kindles. The tongue is a fire. It's a world of iniquity. It defiles our whole bodies and sets on fire the course of nature. It is set on fire of hell. Words. Satan uses words like fiery darts. Listen to Proverbs 16 and verse 28. A troublemaker plants seeds of strife, and a gossip separates the best of friends. Words. Breaks relationships, destroys friendships, breaks marriages because the words are Satan's darts. And for some of you, You've experienced this. Maybe you're still experiencing it right now, firsthand. Your life has been pierced and wounded by words. Maybe the words of your father when you were growing up, the words of your mother, which were harsh and unkind and demeaning and belittling. And you still hear those words and Satan. Every time you hear it, every time it plays over in your mind, it's just a fiery dart. There's the words of your spouse, or the, the words of your boss, or maybe the words of your grown children. But the words we speak can pierce our hearts. The lusts that come at us can 
pierce our hearts. The, the lies that Satan tell us, tells us can pierce our hearts, divide our hearts, harden our hearts, confuse us, break up our homes and our families. It's real. And so what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6 is, look, these fiery darts are going to be coming at you. These flaming arrows are going to be thrown at you. And so you need a shield. If you're going to be able to quench them, if, if you're going to be able to stand against them, you need something to deflect them. And so he prescribes it for us in verse number 16. He says in that verse, above all, taking the shield of faith. Jot that down in your notes. So you got Satan's fiery darts, pretty simple. And then Paul gives us the solution to the fiery darts. It's the shield of faith. Taking the shield or taking up the shield of faith. Now, by the way, it's not all he says. He doesn't just say take up the shield of faith. He says above all, taking up the shield of faith. And it doesn't mean that the shield of faith is more important than the belt of truth or the shoes of, of, the, of peace or the breastplate of righteousness. It means along with or covering all of that. So you're, you're walking in truth, you're grounded in the gospel, you're living righteously. Now he says, over all of that, like a double covering, take up the shield of faith. Now, the shield that Roman soldiers used and that Paul was describing was not a, a small round shield. Like if, like if you're into these movies that are out now, like the Warriors of the Universe or whatever, I don't even know what they're called, but these, these superheroes that have these little shields like this, and, and that's not the kind of shield Paul was talking about. The shield Paul was talking about was more like a small door. It was a shield that was about four, between four and five feet tall. It was about two and a half feet wide, often arched or rounded in the middle, and a, and a Roman soldier would carry that on his arm and it would literally, when he carried it here, would cover him from the tops of his feet all the way up to the bottom of his chin. It was something he could completely hide behind. And Paul said every Roman soldier needs to be able to get behind this shield when those fiery darts begin coming at him. And you imagine Paul, by the Holy Spirit's inspiration, looking at this soldier walking with his armor and thinking, that, that, that armor, that, that shield is to keep those arrows off of him. Man, that's what the devil does to us. He's firing those darts at us. We need a shield. What's our shield? He says, what's our faith? We need to take up the shield of faith. In fact, here's a way that might help you understand it. Take up your faith as a shield. Does that help you? Instead of saying the shield of faith, take up your faith as a shield. When the, when the lies come, my faith is going to deflect them. The, the truth can't get, or the lies can't get through the truth. When, when, when the lust comes, it's my faith in Christ that's going to help me stand. When, when the words begin to come at me that are hurtful, it's my faith in Jesus that's gonna help me to stand. When my home's under attack or my marriage is struggling or, or the kids are having a tough time or whatever, it's my faith in Christ that's gonna deflect all of those fiery darts. So let me, let me answer this question. What kind of faith is it that will shield you from the fiery darts? Number one, it's saving faith. Look, it begins with knowing Jesus. And I know that some of you don't and I want you to know Jesus. But what I'm talking about is not something that you have, but you can have it. And it is a faith which believes in Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's not a faith that sees 
who Jesus is, acknowledges it. Yes, I believe it. Okay, that thing was done, and now I move on with my life. I don't trust in him. No, it is a saving faith, which says he died on the cross and rose from the dead to pay for my sins. He's perfect. I'm imperfect. Heaven is perfect. I can't go to heaven because I'm imperfect, and so I need his perfection in my life in order to get into heaven. I'm going to trust him and what he did in his perfection to graciously and by his mercy make me worthy to go to heaven. That is saving faith. And if you've never done that, you don't have saving faith. Okay? So it's saving faith, first of all, but then secondly, it's active faith. If you want to deflect the darts of the enemy, you got to have active faith. Now, active faith is, is a faith which is growing and dynamic, and, and I'm living in it, and I'm walking in it, and it's, it's real in my life right now. It's not a prayer I prayed when I was 12, and I haven't really thought much about it since then. James warned about that kind of faith, dead faith. Faith that has no works attached to it. Not that we're saved by works, but that the faith that saves produces a life of works. A life of active faith. So do you have that? Do you have the shield of faith? Well, let me close, and we're going to go to the baptism, but let me close my time by answering what I think are two really important questions. And I'm going to answer them quickly. But two really important questions just to sort of give us some handles to hang on to with this issue of the shield of faith. First question is, is very simple. It is, it is how can we increase our faith? If we know Jesus, how can we increase our faith and thereby strengthen our shield? The stronger my faith, the stronger my shield. And so how can we increase our faith? Let me answer it this way. Number one is to say, believe that your faith can grow. Believe that it can grow. Listen to me. If y'all listen, shout amen. Listen, you're not stuck. Praise God, you're not stuck. You're not stuck where you are in your faith walk. Your faith can be stronger. You can have greater faith, stronger faith, more faith tomorrow, next year, than you have now. Because your faith can grow. Believe it. Stop listening to the lies. Satan throwing you the lies, saying you'll never be, you'll never grow. You're, the, you're, as, you're as faithful as you're ever going to be. Now your faith can grow. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 1.3. He said, we are obligated to thank God for you all the time, brothers. As is fitting. Why? Because your faith is growing exceedingly. Your faith can grow exceedingly. So believe it. Number two, build your faith up in the word. If you want to grow in your faith, build it up in the word. Listen, listen. The Bible is protein for your faith muscle. Okay, if you want your faith muscles to grow, you got to feed them some protein. Yes. You know what the Bible says? Listen to it. It's on the screen. First Peter chapter two, verse two, as newborn babes desire the sincere protein of the word, the milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If you want to have strong faith that will deflect the lies and the lusts and the words and the, all the other fiery darts that come, you need to be in the Word. You need to be growing in Scripture. You need to be reading the Bible, listening to the Bible, sitting uh, and taking notes in church, receiving preaching, reading the Bible on your own, studying the Scriptures in a small group, talking about how to apply the Scriptures in your life. Feed on the Word of God. And when you feed on the Word, your faith muscles will grow stronger and your deflection of the darts will grow stronger. Number three, if you want to grow in faith, remember God's faithfulness in times past. Now, this is such a simple truth. 
One of the best ways to grow stronger in faith today is to recall and celebrate how God has given you his, or has been faithful to you in the past. This is what the psalmist said in Psalm 90 and verse 1. He said, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. He says, you're going to be faithful to us tomorrow, and I know it because throughout all our generations, we've been at home with you. We've been safe with you. You've taken care of us. You have been our dwelling place. One of, the, one of the best ways to grow in faith now is to remember God's faithfulness in the past. I said to somebody recently, I said, you know, by God's grace, I think he's growing me in this area. I don't worry about things like I used to. I don't fret about things like I did when I was in my 20s and my 30s and my 40s. I don't, I don't get stressed out about them too much. Why? Well, I know one reason is because in my 20s and my 30s and my 40s, God was so faithful to me. He always was there. He was my, my dwelling place in those generations, in those years. And if he was faithful then, I know he'll be faithful tomorrow. I can trust him. And that grows my faith stronger. Amen? It just, it just makes my faith stronger. So your faith can grow stronger. Believe it. Feed it the word. Recall his faithfulness in the past. And your shield will get stronger. Last question. What do I do if I'm already pierced with many arrows. And I know that some of you are thinking, I feel like my life is riddled with arrows. Like I'm pulling arrows out of every part of me. I mean, the lies I've been believing and the lust that's been overcoming me and the words I've let control my thoughts in a thousand other ways. I feel like, you know, I feel like that guy in the old Western movie after he encounters all the, the Indians and he's laying with his cowboy hat off on his belly and he's got 30 arrows in his back. <laughs> like, that's me. That's my spiritual life. What do you do? Number one, make sure you know Jesus. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that if you've been pierced with arrows, you're not a Christian. I'm not saying that at all. Certainly, many times as believers, we receive the arrows. I'm just saying, make sure you know Jesus. Okay, that's the first thing. Number two, whatever your situation is, whether, whether you caused it, whether somebody else caused it, whatever, whatever your situation is or whatever your sin is, know this, his mercies are new today. Somebody say, praise God. His mercies are new today. Receive it. Know this, that he loves you. He hasn't given up on you. He can pull the arrows out. He can heal up the wounds. He can use the scars to be a testimony for future ministry. Just receive his mercy. Let him heal you. Let him forgive you. Make sure you're saved. Receive his mercy. And start building up your faith. Start feeding on the word and recalling his faithfulness and, and making sure that you're growing in your faith. And as you do, as you do, you've got the, your shoes on, you've got your belt of truth on, you've got your breastplate of righteousness on, and suddenly you feel like, man, I, I'm becoming invincible. Suddenly God's growing me stronger and stronger and these, these arrows that are coming, they're gonna be deflected because my faith is growing stronger. So let me close with this question. Do you know Jesus? Do you have faith? I hope you do.